clap in three, two, one. All right. All right, sweet. You want me to start? Sure. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Filmcraft. For you, it's been a week since you've heard a last episode. For Latif and I, it's been about 90 seconds since we recorded our last episode. But I feel good. True. I feel like the last one we did, the lighting and the color, I think that's one of the best ones we've ever done. Even as, well, I mean, you were talking for the majority of it, but as you were talking, there was, that's a really information-packed one. I feel really good about that episode. I can say that about every episode. <laughs> You're like, that was probably the best episode we've done. <laughs> could, you, could you imagine if it's like, welcome back to Filmcraft, guys. Hope you didn't like listen to last week's piece of shit. <laughs> uh, what a drag. <laughs> All right, so this week, um, I'll tell the story that I told Latif to, that I had to come up with this idea. So basically, I had this short that I wrote three years ago, and I decided to take another look at it. I didn't want to necessarily rewrite it. I think I just had like the, a tiny little bit of information I wanted to add to it. It like realistically would have been like one line, but what I ended up doing was reading the entire thing. And specifically there's one scene between two people where there was an entire page of dialogue and it, the entire script is probably only about 15, 16 pages. So this one scene took up, you know, a pretty decent chunk of that. It's, you know, 7% of the movie, let's call it. And I realized, I, as I read it, I was like, I know why I wrote all of this dialogue this way. I understand the point it's getting across. And it's not that it's doing a bad job of it. It's just, I don't need them to speak here. So what I ended up doing was I deleted that entire page of dialogue and I replaced it with a single look. One guy looks disappointedly at another guy. And like, I understand that's a very vague description of it. But... I think when you write something and then you leave it alone for a while and then especially in this case you go away for three years and you you know you make two features and you write all kinds of other things you get a lot better at your craft so by going back and looking at it and realizing you know I don't need this entire dialogue and thinking about it a little bit visually and just in terms of information real estate you you really want to cram in as much information you can into every scene without it seeming overbearing, of course. And sometimes there's, you're going to have a lot of stuff that when you come back to it in the next rewrite, you're just going to realize, hey, I don't need this. So I thought that would be an interesting topic for us to talk about. Um, Latif, when I told you about this idea, what did you think? I think immediately it was just, sometimes I think people tend to overwrite scenes that that can be shown through actions as opposed to shown through words. Um, and I think some those are some of the most iconic and, and memorable moments in movies are, are, are through actions taken by people, not, not through um, specifically lines said. But, you know, some of the most iconic moments are, are great lines from actors as well. But... Um, I think it's a combination of both, but also knowing when to do what. Um, it's a skill that you, you have as a writer. But 
there are a lot of things that factor in which approach you take, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Have you seen the second John Wick movie? I have not seen any John Wick movie. <laughs> oh, dude. Okay, I wasn't a huge I've fan seen of none of We've them. talked about this. We've talked about this on the podcast, actually. Not a huge fan of the second one. The first one's amazing. At least watch the first one. But uh, there's a story from writing the second movie where basically John Wick, Keanu Reeves, is sitting in a bar. I think he's having a drink. And another like assassin person comes in and sits next to him. They were like, we had all this information that we needed to get out. So the first draft of it was a seven-page dialogue interaction between Keanu Reeves and this other character, who I think was Ruby Rose's character in the finished film. And they were like, ah, oh, you know, it's a bit lengthy. So they rewrote it, and then it was four pages. And like, ah, it's still too much. Rewrote it, three pages. Same thing, rewrote it again. It was a page. And by the end of it, what happens is... Ruby Rose's character walks in and she doesn't even speak. She's mute in the movie. So she like signs something to him and he just goes, yep. And that's the whole scene. They were like, we realized we had seven pages of stuff we didn't need to say that we could just say by Ken Reeves going, yep. <laughs> it's like when you realize that you can whittle something down to that degree and still get across whatever you needed to, I don't know, like, I think it's going to be your best bet to do it in as few words as possible. And then, you know, there's always going to be the people that are like, well, what about Quentin Tarantino? He'll write five pages of dialogue that, you know, kind of, it gets the point across, but there's a lot extra in there. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to disagree with you. But the thing is, Quentin Tarantino is arguably the best dialogue writer that's ever existed. Odds are you are not. I'm not. I can tell you that. <laughs> if you can write dialogue as good as Quentin Tarantino, then I think you've earned the right to write dialogue as much as you want. But for starting out, maybe keep it to the point, you know? Yeah, like my, my thing would be like, even with Tarantino, like, you know, yes, he's got a voice and he and he can write dialogue in a very snappy way, but one thing that people don't consider is he has some of the best actors working in his movies. So yeah. regardless of of what you've written or not, like when you have, you know, arguably some of the greatest actors working in your films, it's always going to be kind of interesting <laughs> to watch. Um, <laughs> and I think as, as new filmmakers and younger filmmakers, we don't have access to Harvey Keitel. Um, so we can't just spew off these monologues and have this amazing performance in our head because likely we're going to get Joe from film school who's going to act in our movie. <laughs> and Joe, as charming as he is, cannot deliver a monologue like Harvey Keitel. Um, <laughs> so I think judiciously in the early stages we should we should attempt to see if we can do things with less wordy dialogue. Um, and, and fewer lines as almost as an experiment to see if if we're able to tell um, these moments and, and these stories with um, with less conversation and see how that works for us because um, you know if yeah. you want to write like very super wordy stuff you can as well but you have to understand that someone's going to have to say these lines and you need to get the right actor to do the part and I think when you said, like, it's a good experiment to see if you can write it in a few words as possible, that 
is something that I've actually done numerous times, and every time I'm a huge fan of it. Like, I remember for What We Don't Say, just as an experiment between the fourth and fifth draft, I did something just for myself, and I called it the silence draft. And I was like, now, obviously, there's still going to be dialogue in this love story movie. We can't have an entirely silent movie. But the objective of this experiment was to any scene, if I could do it without dialogue, even if it was kind of like maybe it's not being pulled off, I was going to try it. And I did try it. Some of the ways that I cut dialogue I ended up keeping in the final movie. Other ways it was like, okay, I was pushing the envelope here. They actually do need to say a couple words kind of thing. But I think that experiment of going through and trying to tell a story without words is super valuable. I mean, you even look at those um, Pixar animated shorts. No one says a word in those movies. They don't have voice actors. <laughs> and they tell some of the most powerful emotional stories with no dialogue. I think that's that's amazing. And yeah, I'm a huge believer in what you said and the experiment of trying to write without dialogue. Yeah, because because like, you know, classically cinema started without sound. And we had to tell stories without words. Like it was just images and and actions from from actors, but eventually with the addition of sound, you know, now we can have people talk and stuff. And the good thing about that was it added to the realism of movies. It felt more like real life. You could hear and see these people talking. Um, but now, the 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 easy thing to do is just go overboard with it and just have like these super boring long talking scenes. Um, I think what what makes um, what makes all the little gestures and moments important. Um, are the intentions behind them, and even psychologically, when you think of like the little the little things we do, they they all express um, a feeling or an emotion. Um, when you break it down to the you know very basics, like what does a high five communicate? It it, it might seem like a stupid gesture, but like when the high five first was invented, it was an expression of like. A mutual joy that two people were feeling something they felt really happy about so they'd slap their hands together that's kind of what a high five <laughs> represents you know what does a kiss represent it's like you know the climax of of love between two people they they have that moment and they share it in a kiss um all these things all these like little gestures and things that we do they have an emotional um power behind them so I think half of it is understanding what certain actions mean um, and there are the generic ones like the high five and the kiss but there are other actions that you can bring your own meaning to and, and create a psychology on your own that could be very interesting but th these things come with understanding human behavior um, and sometimes kind of being inventive like and I like there could be a moment or a thing that an actor does that is not regular psychology but you decide a character will do and it imbues some like super important meaning but that's a choice you make so i think as a writer it's kind of being creative about like how you can um show what this the meaning of a scene is without actually having them say it yep yep totally agree so here's a question for you when you're writing 
do you carry out this experiment of as little dialogue as possible from the first draft or do you kind of get like as much out as you need to get out and then you whittle it down in preceding drafts how do you go about getting to this place of uh call it like optimal information for each line uh i try to usually when i start i try to write as as little as possible when it comes to dialogue I, I, I tend not to like write like a lot and then cut back my preference is to to get across the point with as few words as possible uh and and you know there that that's not always like the rule um because like you know there there are some things that i'm writing where for example we have characters who are like blabbermouths they just won't stop talking yep. so with those characters you overwrite a little bit but even in that you've got to be very judicious about what you pick so there's you know like a character who just keeps talking but every single thing he says i've picked maybe like a hundred different options and pick the best option for every line that he delivers so even there it's about being very very you know picky about like what you decide to put in um so i i I always start with less, um, but if I have to start with more, then I, I start with tons and then cut that down to, like, a very small amount. Yeah, there's one thing that, and totally, totally agree. I'm not about to disagree with you here. There's one thing that I'm, I remember having this theory, I think, after we did party stories. And I remember thinking to myself, what makes a good movie and what makes a bad movie? And I was like, I think part of it is intention. Like, do you, did the filmmaker get across his intention on the screen? Or do you feel that there's been a lot of compromises? Do you feel there's been a lot of changes? Do you feel that that intent and that voice isn't there? And I think, like, sometimes you lose intent through, you know, maybe, like, you were, that Justice League that came out, like they literally brought on another writer-director, so you lose that initial intention there. Or sometimes like, you just realize in editing a scene's not working and you try and cut it together to a point where it kind of is working, but it is and it isn't, and that initial intention isn't there. I think it's the same with dialogue. So where you mentioned that some characters are just blabbermouths. There are a lot of people like that, I'm kind of doing that right now. But when it comes down to dialogue, even when they're blabbering and the words that seem over excessive, like they're talking a bit too much, those words are still handpicked. And it's not just, oh, he needs to say five more words here, so let's throw in some random shit. You pick in, or you pick the words that are very specific that you think this character would say, and you do it with intention and focus. You don't, don't just throw shit in there. Exactly. You're like a surgeon, you know, like you've, you know, the, by example, <laughs> like the lines of that, of that character or the heart and you've peeled back the skin and now you're looking at everything and you're, <laughs> and you're trying to figure out like what, what you can save and what you can get rid of. And I, that's probably not what a surgeon does. It's a very bad metaphor, but I hope not. <laughs> kind of, it's done with that much focus. We'll, we'll just say that. I, I don't know, you know a lot, but... 
medical procedures. You know what came to mind when you said that? You know Dr. Nick from The Simpsons? (laughs) When he cuts open Homer, he's like, oh, what the (laughs) hell is that? (laughs) When you read something that, or has this ever happened to you, someone sends you a script and it does have that kind of you know, blabbermouthy, but unintentionally blabbermouthy. Like, it's going wrong. It's kind of dancing around a point when it shouldn't be dancing around a point. How would you suggest them to hone that dialogue or that vision or whatever it may be to get it to a place where it needs to be? How do they get there? Uh, I think part of it is, this is, you know, this is a really hard thing to do. Uh, and I feel like this is one of the things that will determine whether you will be a screenwriter or a filmmaker or a director. Uh, and it's taking your ego out of the, out of the, the work you do. Um, you know, when you write a line that could be funny or, or might have your sense of humor in it, you've got to ask yourself, is this going to work? Is this going to work for what I'm doing? Even if it is a funny line. It's really about, like, what is the point of this like did i think of a joke that's actually funny i'm so proud of the funny joke that i'm going to leave it in the movie or does this actually work for the movie even if the joke is funny or not um and and then from there the next big step is rewriting and rewriting over and over and over and over until it's finally what it should be um those are like my two big things when it comes to like perfecting something yeah Yep, I totally agree. Have you ever watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah, I love that show. It's a great show. Um, Rob McElhinney, the creator of it, he plays Mac. He tells the story of the first time he ever filmed anything. He was like, you know, I think it was him and his buddies wrote something, and they were like, hey, this is pretty funny. And we went out, we got everything we needed, and we filmed it, and then we watched it, and it sucked. And then we were like, well, let's refilm it. So they rewrote it, and then they refilmed it, they watched it, and they were like, oh, man, that sucked, but not quite as bad. So then they <laughs> rewrote it, and then they filmed it again, they watched it, and it got a little bit better every time. I don't think that's a bad way to go about it, and it is a bit hypocritical coming from me because I didn't really do that. Like, I just trumped straight into features. <laughs> but I think, like, the amount that I learned from party stories which i wouldn't say like totally sucks balls by any means but there are parts where i'm like oh man i would have changed some of this if i knew then what i know now and yeah don't be afraid to make short films or you know go to film school or even like with writing the first thing you're gonna write is gonna be dog shit you're not gonna know it at the time well you might but even if you think the first thing you write is great it's not. And the second thing you write will not be great. I remember the second script I ever wrote, I actually sent you. And then I didn't hear anything uh, from you for a little bit. And when we went to make party stories, I was like, did you ever read that? You're like, no, I never did. And in my head, I'm like, thank fucking God. I don't want anyone to ever read that. It's so bad. (laughs) So like, don't be afraid to get the crap out of your system you know you're not gonna hit a home run on the first try it's just not gonna happen no like you know with with the first thing you write it's very very uncommon that it's gonna be like this you know diamond in the rough screenplay that that just like does it for everyone but 
you know, the, the silver lining in that is there's going to be a scene or a line even or a character or something that, that's good, something that someone at least likes or that you like. And that one thing is going to be the building block for you to keep doing the next thing. And as as you keep going, there's always going to be something that gets better or something that you like more, something that someone else likes more. Um, but, you know, if you... The you know the process of growing involves getting feedback from people, um, and I don't mean in the actual writing process. I personally, when I write, I like to be in my own space and not get too many opinions. But when I'm done something, then I like to get people's feedback on the thing afterwards, and then the do next thing I do. As in, sorry to cut you off. Do you mean done as in the script is done? Like you've done enough drafts to say like this script is now done yes or it's filmed and you're in editing and that kind of done well for every step like once i'm happy with a script for example i'd send it to like one person that i trust and be like listen give me your opinions then i'd take the notes i like and discard the ones i don't and then make adjustments but even in in the editing same same process you know do a cut send it out get some feedback readjust but feedback that loop of like doing something and then getting feedback on your performance of something it's the building block of growing at anything if you're not getting feedback then how how can you get better and i think it's scary to get feedback sometimes because it's painful but that is that is a big part of like actually getting better at something do you find it scary to get feedback sometimes um less less and less the better you get at something because you can start to like um, trust trust that what you're doing is good but in the early stages it's very scary to get feedback because ultimately mm -hmm. people are judging the work you do <laughs> and in the early yeah, stages totally. it's, it's usually not good when you're first ironing out so people will be like that was okay and then it'll hurt you a little <laughs> but the reality is they're not very good <laughs> and I think everyone yeah. starts off not very good Yeah, I, I don't yeah, totally. I, I really also don't think it's a matter of talent like, I, I've, I've never seen myself as a very talented person at anything. I think the only advantage I ever had at anything was being able to write um, a little better than some people. And that, that, that was, like, the one edge I had. And even then, everything else I've ever done in my life, I felt like it was just a matter of working really, really, really hard, getting feedback, and then improving from there. And I think it's the same with writing. Rewriting is probably the biggest thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've always felt very similar about myself, too. Like, I know there's much more naturally talented people out there than me. I know there's people that can take to writing a lot faster than I can, directing any facet of filmmaking. You fucking name it. There are people out there that are naturally better at it than I am. But I would bet a large amount of money that I am... I will work much harder and put in more hours than 99% of those people. And eventually, if not already, I will be better than them. <laughs> and that's subjective, but you get the point that I'm getting at. Um, yeah, as far as like feedback goes, I remember you pretty much hit it, um, hit it on the head with that one. When I first started like sending a short out to someone to be like, oh my god, what are they going to think? What are they going to think? And you're just hoping for, for like, it was so amazing. You did such a great job. And now when I, I send things out and people read them, 
I like dig into them. I'm like, I know there's things in there you're not telling me. Give me the bad notes. I want the bad notes. Because I'm going to take those bad notes and I'm going to delete them and I'm going to make them good notes. So what, like, when do you know what note to take and what to discard though? Because like, I, I usually only take the ones that I like, the ones that I think are useful. I think it's just a gut feeling. And like sometimes you'll get notes where you can just tell the person didn't understand what you were going for. Mm. Like I think I've told this, or sometimes you just get notes that you want to fucking punch someone. I, I've told this story before. Um, around the third draft of What We Don't Say, uh, I started trying to bring on another producer. And I brought, I had a meeting with this one guy, and he was like, yeah, man, I really like the script, but you, you've got a lot of formatting errors here. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I noticed you write, like, uh, we see and we hear. You, you can't do that. Also, you'll say, like, close up or wide angle here. Yeah, you can't do that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, why not? It's like, well, you know what, that's, that's really for the director. Writers can't do that. I'm like, okay. I am the director, <laughs> and writers can do that. So needless to say, that guy didn't get the job. But, yes, I feel like it's just a gut reaction when people give you notes. Like, you'll just know if someone's on to something or if someone isn't. And sometimes it won't even be that they're oblivious to what you're trying to get at. Sometimes it's just like maybe they missed a line or two that created this note for them. And they're asking a question about it when really they just kind of skipped over that one thing or kind of forgot about it. So you're like, it's in there. Maybe I have to make it a bit more present, but it definitely is in there. So at that point, I would just say like, hey, you asked a question about this girl's mom. There are these lines about that, about her mom. Did you, did you miss them or did I not hit it hard enough? And then I think that little bit of extra digging can kind of give you a fairly solid answer as to if it's a note you should explore or, you know, just kind of ignore it because you've already done it. What do you think? In how that plays to, like, dialogue specifically, like, when I get notes about lines, it tends to be very, very um, rare that it's actually about dialogue. A lot of times it'll be about actual actions characters take or about... um, clarity in something in the story or something but I think in general it's very rare to get notes on actual lines of dialogue but you know what that's something I tend to actually give notes on myself um, and I think I, I'm not even sure myself where the line is because in a way the actual words the characters are speaking the voice of the writer is in that but at the same time sometimes I might not like how like a line reads or something like hey that that doesn't quite sound right to me or whatever so you know i might be like stepping a little over over the boundaries when giving actual notes on on lines and how things are said but um in general uh i tend to usually lean towards the notes that that are about um clarifying anything that's confusing yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I think it depends, like, what the person asking for notes wants, too. Because I remember when the last couple drafts of what we don't say, like, you and I would sit down and I would we'd go over every line and I would want the notes of, like, 
hey man, does this line of dialogue sound good to you? And if it didn't, we would have a conversation about it and kind of go from there. So, it, And one really good piece of advice that I've actually taken to um, when just random people message me and ask me to read stuff is, I think it was, yeah, I think it was script notes. John August said this, like, it never hurts to right before you read something, say the person sending it to you and say, okay, do you want me to read this and give you notes? Or do you want me to read this and tell you it's awesome? Because some people, that's really all they want to hear. Like they wouldn't, if you gave them actual notes, they'd be like, nope, you're wrong. My thing is amazing. Fuck you. So if someone just wants to hear it's awesome, just be like, yeah, man, it was great. Because <laughs> those person, those people aren't going to take your notes anyways. You know, writing a script is so hard. So when someone tells you they don't like it or there's something wrong with it or whatever, it's probably pretty painful <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> um, but, you know, you've got to be able to take take the take the feedback otherwise you won't be able to learn from it do you have any other just general thoughts on dialogue that we haven't talked about i think tone is a very important thing uh you know with with the writing and and everything you've got to establish generally like what the what the feeling of the work is and it might not always come across um to people exactly what the tone of the work you're doing is because you know even with my short film I think that was a problem um, for some people like they didn't exactly get what the tone of the film was um, in which aspect like you know what what the genre is, was I guess like what what is the movie um, if, you know if you had to compare it to another movie like what kind of movie would it be and it was I think difficult for mm -hmm. people to pin down exactly what what it was but you know when when i had a, a f first rough cut of the film i think it, for me personally i was like well i think this is very clear tonally what what kind of a film this is but um that that's the tough one of the hardest things to get across in the writing because you might have some comedic lines but you almost might have some very dramatic moments um and ultimately once you shoot something you really start to see like what what the energy of the movie is um, um but i did in the writing process try really hard to get as close as um to what i thought the tone should be and ultimately it, it does very much feel like what i think the film is supposed to feel like but uh in writing something um it's very easy to just kind of be like this is one thing and then everything is geared in that direction but um the most interesting movies uh, for me have like um a mixture of uh, a lot of different kind of um energies about them um so n not being like oh i'm writing a comedy so it's all funny and everything is a joke nothing is taken seriously <laughs> Um, it would be very mm -hmm. difficult to get across. It would come off almost like a sitcom. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's totally fair. Yeah. I don't know if that's specific yeah. to dialogue. Uh, um, it might just be well, that... Well, I think a lot yeah. of that comes out in dialogue, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess in the type of conversations you have, uh, generally, like, 
my big thing with writing dialogue is to to make sure that in ways that the people are the people talking in the scene are engaged with each other but also in a way kind of disconnected um because like we like in general like when when people talk to each other uh it's so hard to find people that are really like listening to each other um especially mm-hmm. when it's cam- casual conversation i think when people are having a very um intense conversation that's usually when they're very very much listening to the words that the other person is saying but, but sometimes people just tend to ramble and like go off topic and talk about random shit um yeah you know i was thinking about that the other day um there's just a bunch of us hanging out and we start talking about one thing and it in movies it's always like you'll start talking about one thing and the scene will pretty much be about that thing it doesn't work that way in real life it'll be like oh, hey, man, uh, what did you think of the weather today? The weather was good. It reminded me of this thing, which reminded me of that thing. And it never really circles or rarely circles back. It'll just like this train that keeps going forward and into new topics and going through things and rambling and just never stopping. And I think if you were, if you were to write a scene like that, it'd be really boring and hard to follow. <laughs> well, I think... We... There are examples of both of them um, that that play to both of what we just said. Like the opening of Reservoir Dogs is exactly that. It's just a bunch of people talking about a bunch of random shit. It just goes on and on. Um, is that where they're at the restaurant? Yeah, that's the scene at the restaurant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and a lot of people really like that scene because they think it's really funny and interesting. And then there's the opposite of that, which is, for example, a scene like. Um, and the master where Joaquin Phoenix is talking to Philip Seymour Hoffman and they're having this very focused deliberate conversation and they're very much listening to each other and you can see that they're kind of focused in on each other so you know play that reservoir box scene and that master scene next to each other they're so different but they're both approaches to writing um, talking between actors uh, and one is more natural and one is more focused but I think they both exist in reality but it's really about like which one is right for the moment that you're um, trying to aim for well yeah I mean I think that's all my thoughts I have on dialogue right now or all the thoughts that are coming to my head is there anything else that you'd like to pop in before we wrap up the episode I guess my only thing is like not not to try to be like too um, to focus on exactly all that stuff um, when you're writing something make sure you get the dialogue right but if you lean too heavily on it um, and you're planning to make the film as well then you're going to have to like find actors that can really deliver what you're looking for um, and I think the one of the freedoms that that when you write um, less wordy stories, is you can potentially have more um, more actors in the running for it. Because uh, you know, if you if you write something that's just like pages and pages of, of monologues and stuff, it's going to require a very specific person to do that right. Um, 
you know, if you needed someone with like an American accent or something. But for example, if you if you found like a fantastic actor from Argentina who had, you know, an accent that they couldn't really hide, but they were just a tremendous actor. Um, it, it wouldn't be so bad if there weren't as many lines um, and if, if you were trying to hide the fact that they had an accent or something. I don't know, that's not like the, the, the number one reason, but, you know, little things like that always come into mind. This has been Filmcraft, and we're brought to you by PIPA, that's P-I-P-P-A dot I-O. Podcast yeah. hosting service, cheap and awesome. Check them out. Bye!